Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show is brought to you by our good friends at Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Auto home life business, whatever it may be, go with the best. You have to have a great relationship with your insurance agent. Because what the Purdy people will do is they'll find you the right insurance, best price, so you're covered, and they'll also fit your budget. But they'll also update you when you need updating to your insurance to make sure that you are still covered. And if they find a better price along the way, they'll let you know that as well. If there's a claim, they jump in as if it happened to them. They're your partners. Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Adam Purdy, by the way, joins us on the show tomorrow to talk about the Purdy Memorial Golf Tournament, which will be a week from Wednesday at the Susquehanna Valley Country Club. All right. Uh, Matt Leon, in a few moments, the Phillies are scorching hot right now. The Sixers are scorching hot right now, and the NFL draft is this week. Plenty to talk about. But first, our play-by-play call of the day. One second left. It's 27-24. Green will inbound to JR, who launches a three-quarter score. Oh, and he hit it! Oh, oh goodness! J.R. Smith from 70 feet out, a three-quarter court shot at the end of the opening quarter. He nails it, and the Cavaliers, after one, have themselves a 30-24 lead. Went on to win the game last night, holding off the uh, Indiana Pacers to tie that series at one game apiece. All right. The Sixers are hot right now, and they're playing well. The Phillies are really hot right now. I mean, all that stuff about opening week with Aaron Nola and not having people warmed up, that's all forgotten now. They they and their manager have found a groove, and with that, that we bring in Matt Leon. Matt, welcome. Great to have you with us as always. It has, and boy, the mask just kind of adds to the uh, the aura around Joel Embiid, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> I'll be honest uh, with you. When I watched him at Kansas, I thought he'd be a a, a terrific athletic inside presence. I don't know about you, Matt. I never expected him to be that kind of outside shooter. No, I don't. I don't think you ever anticipate someone with his build uh, being being that depth from the perimeter. Uh, you know, he hasn't been great from three in uh, those couple of postseason games here, but he's enough of a threat uh, that. It, it makes his post game all the more stronger, and uh, he's just—he's really impossible to defend. I mean, he's—I don't know what you do, especially when he's playing off a facilitator like Ben Simmons. I mean, this is a a team that I think, with every game, is getting scarier and scarier in the Eastern Conference. Oh, I think they are too. I, again, the the bottom line to me was this: when they won the last regular season game. To me, that gave them a better pathway to get into the Eastern Conference because it avoided Cleveland. No, absolutely. And I, you know, 
they haven't just won games in this series where they've been on. You know, they won game one where they just dominated the second half and right. hit everything they threw up. Uh, you know, they won on Saturday. They turned the ball over 26 times. I know. They were, what were they, 7 for 32 from 3? I mean, they had a lot of numbers that if you laid them out on Brett Brown's desk and you told him this is what you're going to get today, I think he would have been very uncomfortable with their chances. And they just found a way. They get into the fourth quarter, and Simmons is able to raise his game, and Bede's able to raise his game. J.J. Redick, Dario Saric, who I think gets lost a lot of times. Yeah, he does. Because of all the attention Simmons and uh, and Bede get. But but he is uh, so vital to what they do. Uh, you know, they they a lot of teams, a lot of good teams would have lost game four, given the, the way they played in a lot of facets. Yeah. And uh, they found a way to win on the road. So uh, now they look to close it out tomorrow night. And I think I, what I meant to say was they avoid Toronto uh, because they, they're the one seed. I think I said Cleveland. Uh, and I, to me, that's just a clear path for them. But it's it's the way everybody else is playing. They have contributors. And I brought this up with you a couple couple weeks ago. When I think I brought up Covington as one. But they're getting contributions across the board. This is as, How confident do they look to you as a team? Now they look very confident because I think there is a trust almost one to fifteen on the roster that whoever gets in there is going to get it done. I mean, you've seen Ursan Ilyasova make big spots, big shots. Marco Bellinelli, who is probably the greatest off balance shooter of our generation. <laughs> uh you know, and you you throw in a TJ McConnell, a Justin Anderson, you know, and these guys might only give you five, six minutes, but they give you good minutes. Uh, Markel Fultz played well in the first game, struggled in two and three, didn't play in game four, but uh, this is still the number one overall pick in the draft that you have uh, on your, you know, at the ability to, to put in the game and make a difference. So, you know, and you just watch these games specifically which my, with Miami. You don't have to watch very long to, to see that the Sixers are just clearly better. And you see that the mistakes the Sixers have to make to keep the heat in the game. Right. You know, the Sixers don't turn the ball over whatever it was through three quarters, 19 times uh, in, in game four, they're probably up seven or eight points. And these were not turnovers generated by phenomenal Miami defense. This is guy, These are guys trying to make passes through traffic, throwing the ball away, losing control of the basketball. You know, and that's just in game two, the Sixers just could not shoot. And they, they allowed Miami to get the lead and dictate. But they, I don't think it, it takes long for if you watch these games that all things being even, the Sixers are just clearly better top to bottom. Okay, uh, the uh, NFL draft is this week. The Eagles will draft in the 32nd spot, at least at this hour they were drafted in the 32nd spot. Of course, they obviously may have the ability, to, if they want to, move down. Um, what do you think position-wise they might go? What would be two, three positions over the three days that uh, you expect them to at least shoot for? Um, I would probably say uh, running back at some point, although I don't know in the with the first. Uh, offensive line, specifically a tackle, uh, with an eye towards uh, Jason Peters eventually retiring, yeah. even though Halapuli Vativai played well when Peters went down this past year. Uh, it's kind of cliche, but I honestly think it really is the case this year that it's going to be best player available right. minus a quarterback. Yeah. It's just not going to be a quarterback. Any, I think right. anything else is really on the table. And uh, you said as of now they're drafting 32nd. They don't have a two. They don't have a three. So it would not surprise me at all to see them trade down to get uh, some day two picks uh, in exchange and try to go after uh, the depth at this draft. But, uh, you know, I I really do believe that they will put whatever their board is, and I think whoever is the best player 
when their number comes up, that's the direction they're going to go. Because I don't think they have anything I would call a glaring need. I think they have a lot of places where they could maybe use some help and use some depth. But uh, it's a nice place to be after you won the Super Bowl. And then the next part is about the Phillies. When you look at them, are you starting to see a settling with with this team that they're settling into a good pattern? Oh, I think so. I think you don't hear much complaining about Gabe Kapler now. It's funny no. how winning 13 out of 16 does that. Uh, I think the key right now, because they're not hitting the ball great. You know, they, They're not putting up big numbers offensively. But pretty much every night they get a good starting pitching effort. And uh, Nick Pavetta last night got a no decision, uh, but went six and two-thirds and allowed two runs. And he was shaky in his first start this season, but he's been really good since then. And if he can turn into what his arm is capable of doing, uh, he could be really special. And then all of a sudden, let's assume and go best-case scenario that he does turn the corner and, and really establish himself as a consistent upper tier major league starting pitcher and then all of a sudden you put him next to Aaron Nola and Jake Arrieta who yeah. is throwing very, very well here mm-hmm. and you really feel like he's starting to roll downhill here as, uh, after getting a late start in spring training because he wasn't signed that's all of a sudden that's, that's three powerful uh, talented arms at the front of that rotation Vince Velazquez has been better so far this season he could be another guy along with Pavetta that it's not a question of the quality of the arm it's just putting it all together if you know this is a lot of ifs and a lot of best case scenarios but you know he can put his high level stuff and and get it across the plate in good spots at a consistent basis uh that's four guys and Ben Lively is a a nice number five he's not going to go real deep into games but they also have Jared Eichhoff who was uh, their second best pitcher for a couple years who has yet to pitch today because he got hurt in spring training if he comes back uh, there's a lot to like. And once again, almost across the board, this is a young ascending team. And oh, by the way, they're 14 and seven and a half game out of first place. And they're only hitting like 230 something as a group. Uh, but one thing that really goes against how young they are, man, do they work pitchers. Every at bat is a grind up and down this lineup. And I think that's what you see while they're not getting putting up the gaudy numbers. They're making pitchers work, and they're forcing the issue, and they're getting into bullpens, and they're forcing teams to go deeper than they want. I think that's why they're able to win a lot of these games late here as of late, because they're they're getting in advantageous spots at the, against the soft part of a bullpen in the seventh, eighth, ninth innings. That's the Red Sox-Yankees model that they use yes. for years and years and years, where it's suddenly... A starter is at 98 pitches here in the fifth inning. Okay, mm-hmm. I think he's going bye-bye. Uh, yeah, and you know every bullpen has a soft part. Every In Major League Baseball, every bullpen's yeah. got two or three guys that are only on the roster because they have you have to have 25 guys. And if you can consistently get to that part of a bullpen, uh, more often than not, you're going to win that battle. Uh, what do you think of Santana so far? Um, he's not hitting anything for his average, but it's funny. I think he's at 150 something. But even with that, his on base percentage is 300. Which, so by the even which, when, which by the way, the on base percentage thing was part of the mo when they signed him. Yep, and he. I don't know if this is still the case, but if you get into like ways deep into the analytics. At one point, he was literally the unluckiest hitter in baseball because of the trajectory of his hits and how how far he was hitting the ball and how fast it was coming off the bat. He was just hitting a ton of like 390 foot fly balls to dead center field. 
So I, I, that's going to even out, and I think it's going to be fun to watch as he gets back up to where he should be at 260, 270, 280. Uh, defensively, he's been phenomenal, and he's just a, a steady presence. He's, uh, it's going to be he's a good hitter. You can see that. Now we just need the numbers to, to catch up to, to what he is doing. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you very much. Here's Adam Purdy with another example of how Purdy Insurance is different. I was at home one Saturday when I got a call from a client who had just been in an auto accident with a rental car in Canada. After confirming that everyone was okay, I checked his policy and assured him that we had the proper coverages in place. Within a few minutes, I had his claim called in and he was back to enjoying his vacation. Purdy Insurance has been answering calls like this for over 90 years. Give Purdy Insurance a call today at 800-677-2478 to see what we can do for you. I'm supposed to be on some Cleveland Browns talk show tonight in Ohio, like 5.30 or something like that, 5.35. Oh, cool. You going to talk about Tim Couch? Well, the ghost of Tim Couch will be in the room, I can tell you that. (laughs) You have one in four. Okay. You're going to tell me that in a quarterback jumbled draft where who knows who gets it right you're going to bypass Saquon Barkley so you can select your quarterback at one what the heck are you thinking I mean look, you know there's certain points along the way if, if look I'll, let, let me give you one Say, for example, the only legitimate quarterback in the draft happened to be Sam Darnold, and you needed a quarterback. And there's nobody else in the mix in this thing. All right, now, you know, you can win me over easily about, hey, look, got to draft the quarterback. I got that part. I got it. But tell me what is the difference between Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, uh, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, yeah, and Mason Rudolph. What's the difference? Hey, there's some differences, yeah. But is there a surefire like that's Peyton Manning got to have him? Really? Now Bradley Chubb, awesome pass rusher. I think people think he's a surefire guy. Quentin Nelson, the guard from Notre Dame. You, we've had one draft analyst after another come on and talk about, hey, this guy, is he has all the credentials. And, of course, then there's Barkley. Those are the three best players in the draft. So what you're going to tell your fan base is this. right? In a jumbo quarterback market, and I've got four, which means the worst I get is my third choice. The worst. You're going to bypass Barkley. Hmm. And you wonder why you're 0-16 all the time. My goodness. What are they, 1-31 their last two years? And Hugh Jackson still has a job. Well, but he can only coach what he has. I'm not, you know, that that part, remember, he does not assemble the, the, the talent. Yeah, the front office assembles the talent. 
Well, have they've got a, it. You bring up a great point. They've got a new GM in place who uh, I would John who, Dorsey. Yeah, who has much more football savvy compared to other people that have been in that office for close to a decade or so. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do on Thursday night, and if they do bypass a quarterback at one then really the Giants pick at number two, it is really going to change the entire dynamic of the first round. If they take a quarterback, the Giants, I think, are going to go for Barkley. Now, that still means that you get maybe Bradley Chubb at four. Okay, I mean, that still ends up being a successful draft. But remember this, you did draft Miles Garrett last year. You did draft a pass rusher with the first overall pick. To me, I go after the surefire guy in Barkley, and then I come up with a quarterback. I could come up with Rosen at that spot, Darnold at that spot, Baker Mayfield that spot. So you're telling me you lost out if those are your three options? Because I don't think Josh Allen's going to be the pick. I don't think Josh Allen's going to be the pick. Now, you may not get Bradley Chubb at four because the New York Giants might take Bradley Chubb at four. Now, you might get Bradley Chubb at four. Uh, or Giants, the Giants will take him at two, I mean. I mean this, is, this is what makes you the Cleveland Browns when you get, here you go, this is a generational player. No, nah, we're going to go with this guy. Hey, nice job. Now, would Barkley probably be better off going to the Giants? Yeah. Eli Manning, Odell Beckham Jr. Because Barkley's a 1,500 to 2,000-yard guy from the line of scrimmage. If he's healthy, obviously. Yeah, there is a distinct possibility three quarterbacks could go within the top five picks. Uh, of course. La- last time that happened, it was actually 1-2-3. Uh, back in 1999, Tim Couch, Cleveland, Donovan McNabb, Philadelphia, Achilles Smith, Cincinnati. So it goes back to what you just said a few moments ago. I mean, if, if all six of those highly touted quarterbacks go in the first round, it's true. Not a lot of separation between the six, so it just makes you wonder how many are... You know, are we really going to be talking about three, four, five years down the road? I mean, to be honest with you, if you're ranking the players one through a hundred, where's the first quarterback come up? I mean, Barkley, Chubb, and um, and Nelson, in terms of who the actual best players happen to be, are going to come up one, two, three, in whatever order you prefer. Then a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, Derwin James. It's 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 amazing. It's amazing. But again, you need quarterbacks in this thing. If the Browns did not have a pick at four, I can completely understand. Look, we better get the quarterback now. But they're sitting at four. They're going to get no worse than their, quote, third choice in the jumble group. You're either going to get Darnold, Allen, Mayfield, or Rosen in the fourth spot if you take Barkley first. Amazing. 
Like I said, I think Barkley's better off going to the Giants anyway, but I see stuff like this, and I sit back and say, guys, you don't bypass the best player. You just don't do it. Losing organizations bypass the best player. Remember, this is the same organization that looked at Carson Wentz and said, nah, I don't think so. Hey, good call. I mean, what's next? You're going to put Jeremy Pruitt in charge of marketing? <laughs> I mean, everybody has their own way of marketing. I always like to insult people when I market. (laughs) He insults an entire segment of the fan base and is proud of it. Like he knows better than anybody else. All those wins he's racked up. Oh. Speaks for itself, right? I looked at his record. It's zero and zero. I think maybe we ought to concentrate more on getting W's. Than we... Would you be amazed by getting W's, how those fans will have a better chance of coming back? Well, you're talking about national attendance, down 1,700 per game last year. Largest drop in 34 years, and the SEC was the biggest drop. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Mertz family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC ways to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Show brought to you by Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Purdy's have served this valley for decades. Find the right insurance. I don't care if it's auto, home, life, business, whatever it may be. And the best price. And don't forget about the Purdy Memorial Golf Tournament coming up in just nine days. A week from Wednesday at the beautiful Susquehanna Valley Country Club. To benefit the greater Susquehanna Valley YMCA, Adam Purdy will join us on the show tomorrow to discuss that. There will also be an event at Penn's Tavern with several former Nittany Line football players on Tuesday night, May 1st. And, of course, we're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Greg Pickle joins us. PatriotNewsPenLive.com. Welcome back, Greg. Great to have you with us. 
Hey, Steve, good to be on with you. Glad to uh, be back on a beautiful April day. Good to be on. Let's uh, talk about another beautiful April day, and that was Saturday. Great crowd on hands, about 71,000 estimated. James Franklin was rather blunt about it. He said, look, it was plain vanilla as to what they did, but what were your general thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think that when Penn State obviously goes through its 14 spring practices, they learn a lot more uh, in each of those 14 as opposed to the blue-white game. And, of course, it's boiled down and really uh, just a chance for the guys to get out and experience Beaver Stadium, how the team lines up at the field, everything that they do once they get into the huddle and come out of the locker room and all of that. So uh, it's more of a dress for a rehearsal, I guess you could say, for the season. We don't see a whole lot, of course, but I thought it was a good day. The key always, uh, Steve, is it. Your guys stay healthy, and as far as we know, Penn State's guys did exactly that over the course of the four quarters at Beaver Stadium. And, you know, I thought Sean Clifford looked pretty good. I thought that uh, the Micah Parsons and Nick Tarburton both uh, showcased the fact that they have the kind of skill sets that might be able to help Penn State sooner rather than later, so I thought that was encouraging to see. And overall, you know, I just thought it was a good day for the program. There really wasn't anything that, uh, you know, stood out or shocked you in any sort of way. Chase McSorley, 10 of 14, uh, looking good and accurate as always. And uh, like I said, I thought Clifford was good. Zach McPherson had a nice day with three pass breakups. A couple of those other guys back in the secondary looked good. So overall, I have to think it was encouraging for the Lions as they head into a busy time of year for recruiting. Uh, also, Jesse Lucetta, another one of those linebackers that was involved. He seemed to be uh, in several different areas of the field Saturday. Yeah, I think he's a guy that you know I personally underestimated coming into Penn State. He's a guy that's gotten a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, and a little bit faster since his uh, senior season wrapped up at uh, out in Erie. And I just look at him and think of another guy that could play right away and certainly help Penn State on special teams, if not elsewhere. I just think he moves very well, much better than I thought he did, and his tape looks really good. So we'll have to wait and see how it all plays out. But he was impressive on Saturday as well. And you know, Isaiah Humphreys and uh, Trent Gordon and Zach Coons all seem to have pretty productive springs as well. So when you put it all together, Steve, I know that you know it's not always it's not always the case that guys play you know their first season. But as James Franklin said, the January enrollment factor certainly gets these guys a leg up leg up when it comes to summer camp. And I don't know, I'm starting to get more and more convinced we might see a bunch of them play. Maybe not all seven, all six, but a bunch of them get on the field. Uh, really uh, early on in September. <laughs> Excuse me. Which then uh, brings us to some of the interviews. You had a chance to talk with some of the people afterward. What struck you about some of the conversations you heard in the media room? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple things stood out. Ricky Ronnie, obviously, is a guy that, you know, the one impression I continue to get of him, Steve, is that there's just not much that frazzles a guy. There's not much that freaks him out or makes him get worked up or, uh, you know, he's a very calm, cool, and collected guy. And we saw that with Joe Moorhead, too. And I think that for this offense to be at its peak, obviously you need good player production, but you need also a coach that's able to sit back and diagnose things. And if things aren't going well, be able to see the big picture. So to me, that was probably the biggest takeaway. Just let's go ahead and talk. Obviously, uh, you know, he was complimentary of Matt Kippenhammer, the offensive line, and so forth. But just listening to him talk in general, I was really struck by the fact that this is a guy that is, in the, that, excuse me, in the Joe Moorhead, in the James Franklin, uh, you know, kind of family when you talk about just reacting to things and the way guys handle the, the environment and the emotions and the pressure of all of it. I was really uh, just impressed by how he conducted himself after the Fiesta Bowl and then how he conducted himself at the Blue White game on Saturday. Penn State is a star in him. There's no question about it. 
Greg, when you look at the caliber of athlete out there across the board, what are you seeing with Penn State football now as opposed to maybe five years ago? Oh, there's no question it's skyrocketed. I mean, this is a group now that, you know, the, the teams that come that came before it had a lot of older veteran guys that were kind of crafty. They'd been around for a while. They had learned a lot and grown a lot and played a lot of football. But there weren't too many young guys that could contribute from day one. And now you have a bunch of those guys that can play from day one, mixed in with some veterans, mixed in with some guys that were redshirt freshmen that are now able to take the next step. And, uh, you know, they hope to play a whole <clears throat> excuse me, Steve, to play a whole bunch of this summer and then fall. So, I mean, it's nowhere. It's night and day. There's no question about it. It's uh, it's now for Penn State. They are playing with the kind of athletes across the board that the top programs, that the college football playoff contenders, et cetera, across the country have. And I think that you've seen James Franklin and his staff continue to recruit better and better, and that's led to, of course, more uh, highly rated players and more highly productive players. So, you know, it's not to take anything away from the guys that have been in the program beforehand, but certainly this group now is special and the last few have been as well. There, of course, is also a major recruiting weekend. You're able to get 71,000 people into Beaver Stadium for a spring game, which was number four among all spring games this particular year. Tell us a little bit about the recruiting component. Yeah, good day for Penn State, Steve. you got Caden Wallace, the four-star guard from Princeton, New Jersey, to verbally commit to the program while in town for an unofficial visit. I think that this, that was only a matter of time before he pulled the trigger. Penn State has long sat in good shape with him, and it was just, uh, you know, he went out to Oklahoma, and I think he, <clears throat> he wanted to see some other schools, but at the end of the day, he visited Penn State more than any other school, and it really wasn't even close comparatively. So I just think that that's a good win for the Lions to get the offensive line class off and running, and then when you look at the totality of the visitors, I mean, it was a good group. The, uh, two of the top players in the class of 2020, Julian Fleming, a receiver, and Brian Brescio, a defensive lineman, were both on hand. You had Zach Harrison, one of the top three players in the country in the class of 2019. Xavier Truss, a big offensive lineman from Rhode Island. I could go on and on and on. We could feel the rest of the hour talking about the number of guys that were there, but for Penn State, it was probably the best excuse me, probably the best gathering of kids they've ever had. Don't get me wrong, some of the Ohio State and Michigan visitor list in the past under James Franken have been really star-studded, but this group was far and away uh, the largest number of highly ranked kids that Penn State's ever had on campus across multiple classes. Right, yeah, but they're also in an interesting spot because they, they. I think you get a sense that like with this class they have to go a little further, maybe a little wider net this time. Is that fair? Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, it's not to say the Middle Atlantic and Pennsylvania specifically is is uh, down or really bad this particular year, but there's just not as many guys out there to offer uh, nearby within that 300-mile radius that, that James Franklin talks about. Now, look, like a, a couple of the guys we mentioned, Xavier Trust is a Rhode Island kid. Wallace is from New Jersey. There's a couple uh, defensive backs, Tyler Rudolph and Marquise Wilson from Connecticut that are high on the board and that were in town. Andre White, the linebacker from Harrisburg. They're are some nearby guys, but I think that two things really stand out, Steve. The first one is that there's not as many uh, you know, top-flight players at Penn State once in this region in this cycle, but the other the other factor of it, too, is Penn State can recruit nationally now. If they want to go get the best players in some of these other states and try and get into Florida and Texas, Missouri, Georgia, etc., they can, and that's something they really haven't been able to do before, but when you win and when you've got coaches that have connections all over the country, which Penn State does, you're able to do a little bit different recruiting-wise than maybe you have in the past. 
There are some people that are wondering that while they go through the weekend and they get one verbal commitment, they're expecting three, four, five. I mean, this is an entire process. Explain the process, and if someone has a question as to why it appears on the surface to be slower, why? Yeah, I think that the new recruiting rules have changed everything. So previously, you'd have guys that had to wait until the the start of their senior season, August, uh, you know, 31st, September 1st, to go on official visits. They couldn't go see schools on the school's dime until the start of their senior year. Well, now it's a new NCAA rule that allows recruits to go see campus on the school's dime for official visits, <laughs> excuse me, between April 1 and May 31. It really changes the game. Kids that might have committed now and wanted to take official visits in the fall while they're committed to a school, well, those kids are now waiting and say, okay, I'll take all my official visits between now and the end of May. Uh, June, and then what I'll do is I'll make my decision before my senior season starts and take a visit to the school that I pick sometime during the fall. So the calendar's really changed entirely, Steve. Like I said, it used to be that kids would commit by now, but you know the spring game would always be a jump-off point. And I do think they'll get one every year. That's been pretty standard under James. But I do think that the slowed-down nature of this is not only due to the fact that Penn State might have a bit of a smaller class than normal, but also the new recruiting roles are slowing down commitments across the country in general. What about the dynamic? You've talked to enough student-athletes, and you've talked to enough uh, parents along the way. What kind of different uh, – not different – what kind of dynamic – in the change in the Penn State staffs at a J1 site or a Donnie Corley, a Tyler Bowen, for example. Now, what are some of the pluses they bring to the table that recruits and their families like? Well, Tyler Bowen's just a really relatable guy. All three of them are. I think that's the first thing that jumps out when talking about the new trio of coaches that Penn State has. And Phil Galliano, you can throw him into that group as well, because keep in mind, he was on the staff, but promoted, of course, doing on-field roles. So, you have four new guys that have really uh, worked hard to learn the Penn State way, learn the James Franklin way. Uh, Galliano a lot less than the other three, obviously, because he was already here. But you know, you have three guys that have really figured it out quickly, and now they're able to sell it to the recruits that they were recruiting in other places. Bowen has re- relationships all over the place because there's ties in Maryland and also Fordham. Uh, Jaylon Sider has Florida on lockdown, and David Corley has been, you know, a nice addition too. He might not have the the uh, high caliber schools on his resume, but he's been all over the place and is a very good and highly respected coach. So, you know, all these guys seem to be very well liked by the current players, and recruits are really starting to warm up to them as well, especially Sider, who's going to do big things for these guys on the recruiting front. All right. Uh, you talked about uh, getting some conversation with Ricky Ronnie in there. What do you think when uh, uh, Brent Pry had his opportunity? Yeah, you know, I thought that, uh, you know, Brent is what he is. He's not, you know, you know what you're going to get with him. He's going to um, talk about the grease board. He's going to really drill down on the fundamentals and things like that. I mean, he's, a, he's not exactly a secret when it comes to what he expects from his guys. He wants them to be fundamentally sound, whether they play defensive tackle or safety, and he wants them to be, you know, responsible for their part of the defense. So he was good as always, not anything too surprising. Obviously, he has his, uh, his work cut out for him at the linebacker spot and how Penn State's going to really figure that out and make things work there in the middle and outside. But to me, Steve, I think that this might be one of the best groups Brent Pry has to work with. Yes, last year's group was tremendous veteran. It's going to have a number of players drafted, but this one's high on potential if it's uh, low on experience. And it will take some molding, but Penn State has a defensive assistant and a leader in Brent Pry to make that work. And I think that this group has a chance to maybe really turn some heads compared to what things were expected a year ago. 
Greg, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time, the talk, and also the insight. All right, Steve. Always a pleasure. Talk to you guys soon. Greg Pickle, PenLive.com, Patriot News. We'll come back, wrap it up in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Purdy Insurance. All right, great to have you with us. That's a. The Jeremy Pruitt thing amazes me. Uh, I mean, you want to talk about being out of touch? I mean, he's out of touch. I mean, he may be a phenomenal football coach. After all the various twists and turns that Tennessee took to get to a head football coach, I thought in the end they made a good choice in Jeremy Pruitt. Now, most schools, or actually most organizations, especially on the pro level, have you noticed there's a pattern? They usually pick somebody the opposite of what they already had. Well, Butch Jones is more of a uh, player-friendly coach, and Jeremy Pruitt is is more of a disciplinarian. Okay, that's fine. And he has a certain standard. That's fine. I have no problem with him having standards. I have no problem at all with with him holding players accountable, wanting older players to then set the tone culture-wise. I mean, all those things. Those are all pluses. All pluses. But when you go out there and you take a shot at, at fans that don't show up at the spring scrimmage, or a segment of fans that don't show up at the spring scrimmage, that tells me you're out of touch. You don't get it. You you have right now today a battle going on every day with franchises and athletic departments trying to make sure that they've got as many seats filled as possible. It's interesting. Getting TV dollars is really important. It's really important. And getting attendance dollars is really important. And as much as I know TV wants a full house, it seems like sometimes there's a conflict between the two. Make the TV experience so great, people are going to stay home. So you don't go around ripping your ripping a segment, not all of them, because he praised the people that were there and he said he understood reasons why certain people wouldn't be there. Okay, that's fine. But then to take a shot at the rest of the fan base, to be honest with you, what have you done to earn them being there? What? It certainly can't be your sterling record of zero and zero. No offense, but yeah, he did a great job as the defensive coordinator at Alabama. Although I noticed that um, your defense ran out of gas against Clemson on 99 plays the year before, so I did notice that. Uh, and then I also noticed that your current Tennessee defense doesn't have Minka Fitzpatrick. You've got to be out there working hard to cultivate, not alienate. Oh, that's just, he's just being blunt. Blunt about what? What are you challenging these people? You challenge? Hey, you should be here. They're gonna look at you and go. I have my choice. I don't have to be there. 
I chose not to be there. Hey, hey what are you going to do to me if I don't go? Ooh. <laughs> uh, take away my TV privileges? What? I mean that. I mean that was just. I I read that and I said, well, there's a person that has no touch with reality. This is a person that has no idea what what the modern world is like right now. None. Oh well, man, that's his problem. And look, Tennessee hasn't been relevant. Has not been relevant nationally for twenty years. You know, let's be serious about it. When's the last time Tennessee football was relevant in the thick of the championship picture? When Peyton Manning was there. Or, yeah, and then they went the year after with T. Martin. 20 yes. years. 20 years. They've been ranked in the top five, the end of the year, anything like that. Top 10. They've been ranked in the top 10. On any consistent basis, well, it was really anything since 1998. I mean, right now, that is a program where they think higher of it than than the rest of the country. Well, when we started the pick segment with uh, you, your brother, and I two seasons ago, I mean, that was the one team that drove me absolutely crazy. Tennessee just could not figure them out. Just when you think, oh, okay, they're back to prominence, they're they're back to making a big splash as a as a power five team, but but yeah, it's <laughs> I can't imagine what the fans are going through down there now. They got to deal with this guy as a head coach, and you say, oh, this is the guy that's going to turn the corner for us. Well, what, well wait he, a minute. He, he may do it, Sean. I have no. I mean, again, I'm willing to do, you know, look at somebody like that and say, okay, I, you know, he may be a great coach and he may get him going. And two years from now, three years from now, we may be talking in glowing terms about the great job he's done. I'm willing to see what what he's got in the tank. Well, like you said, though, I mean, but there's a certain way you need to represent the university. It's like how many fans of the oh, if we can only go back to Phil Fulmer. Well, I mean, your job is to cultivate these people. Don't alienate them. Hey, for all the all of you who weren't here, hey, we would have loved to have had you here. Believe me, we're going to do everything we can to fill this place every game, and we're going to fill it for the spring game as well. Why? Because that's the direction we're going in, and we want you to go with us. What's wrong with saying that? Instead of insulting them. Yeah, that always works. Although, although there's been re- repeated insults of the suit, and he keeps showing up at work, so I don't know. Uh, maybe the theory doesn't work on everybody. Adam Purdy tomorrow, Purdy Memorial Golf Tournament. Tony Knopp on Wednesday. What a lineup today. Greg Pickle, Joe Susan, Matt Leon, Keegan-Michael Key. Your station for news, weather, business, and CBS Sports Radio. News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury and on WKOK.com.